Welcome. Uh, my name is Toby Heaps, and I believe we're about to get started. Let's do it. All right. Okay. So, when you're thinking about climate change, and climate change is something that's on a lot of people's minds right now, uh, in part because the air outside is uh, more difficult to breathe than normal uh, because of the, the, the number of forest fires, which are directly linked to the, con the increased concentration of emissions in the atmosphere. And so it's something that brings it top of mind. And when we think of what causes climate change, in my mind, there are really three Cs. There's cars, coal, and cows. And when you think about cows, I'm not even talking about the dairy piece, just the meat piece, it accounts for about 7% of global greenhouse gas emissions. That's equivalent to every single car on the planet in terms of emissions. So it's a big, it's a big wicked problem to crack to figure out how can we figure out how to reduce our dependence and our consumption of meat. So we have with us today three awesome entrepreneurs who really know their stuff, who are working on wicked solutions to these awesome problems. And we're going to go through what they're doing, who they are, what they're doing, what kind of scale and impact what they're doing could have if they're really successful, and what it would take to turbocharge what they're doing to achieve that scale. So we're going to start with, we'll go from, from that side to this side. We'll start with Josh. And so Josh, could you just maybe introduce, give us your who you are, your elevator pitch, and then tell us what's the wicked problem uh, in terms of the replacement for animal protein that you're, you're solving with your company, and, uh, and how does it work? Sure. So I'm Joshua March. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Sci-Fi Foods, where we are actually working on kind of electrifying the cow. Um, we're working on cultivated meat, so growing yeah. real meat from cells instead of animals. You know, the big problem, uh, the big challenge in that space is how do you do that cost-effectively? Right? How can you scale it up and make affordable products for normal people to eat? Um, and we're really focused on using the power of synthetic biology and genetic engineering to make that possible. And so if you're successful um, with what you're doing, what kind of scale could it, could it reach in terms of replacing the consumption of, of, uh, of, of normal cows? I mean, you know, ultimately, the long-term goal, right, is to be able to create essentially real beef, right? Real meat, the same taste, texture, nutrition as conventional meat. Now, um, to, do, to actually completely replace animal agriculture, you're talking like trillions of tons of steel, right? It's a lot of, lot of investment uh, that needs to happen over, over a long period of time. But I think for us, you know, when I look at like solar, there is now like a trillion dollars or something of investment going into solar like every year, maybe even every month. It's like completely crazy, right? Yeah. It's accelerated. Uh, enormously. And ultimately, I think we need to create something similar in alt protein. It's going to take us a while to build up to the point where you know, the price and, and technology is ready to scale at that, at that size. But ultimately, we do need to, to massively increase the amount of infrastructure we have for biomanufacturing to really make a big dent. Okay. I'm going to come back to you in a, in a minute, but let, let's just get the big ideas on the table here. Kim? So, hi, everyone. I'm Kim, co-founder and CEO of Prime Roots. Um, we use mycelium, which think of it like the roots of mushrooms, to create the identical textures of meat. And we can modulate and make any type of meat and any type of seafood. So interestingly, we're kind of between cell-based and plant-based because we're fungi-based. Um, it's a whole other kingdom. Um, we think it has a lot of potential to address taste, texture, cost, and scale um, compared to the multitude of other solutions out there. And in terms of scale, if, if fungi really scales up, uh, what portion, you know, like when we think about um, plant protein milk, right now I think it's 7 to 10% of it has been replaced 
has replaced uh, animal protein milk. What kind of scale do you think fungi can do in terms of replacing the, uh, the animal protein when, if, it, if, it, if it achieves its, its ultimate scale? So fungi are extremely scalable. Yep. Um, and, and so our vision at Prime Roots is to be able to make really alternative meats, the yep. conventional option. Um, so just as it is so easy to get oat milk or soy milk um, yep. in your latte every day, yep. we'd like to do the same for meat. So I think it can be the, the default, and because we have a platform that can make all different types of meats, um, we definitely are keen at being a front runner in that race. Okay, so not just the portobello burgers, but going the full Monty. Okay. Chris? Hi, everyone. Uh, Chris Bryson, founder and CEO of New School Foods, yeah. and we make uh, whole-cut seafood and meat alternatives from plants. Um, and when I say whole-cut, sometimes people hear cold cuts. That's not what we do. We do whole cuts, and that means fillets or steaks. And, and you kind of correctly pointed out that you can't really solve climate change without changing food. And within food, about two-thirds of meat sales are in whole cut format. So you can't also solve climate change without solving whole cuts. So that's why we spent the last few years pioneering a totally new processing technology that allows us to create muscle fibers entirely from plants. And uh, the first product that we're, that we're working on is a filet of salmon that looks, cooks, tastes, and flakes just like the real thing. Okay, so let's, let's take this back and dig a little deeper. We'll go, for, we'll go for, start with you going back. So tell us a little bit more. So you're, you're making a filet of salmon mm -hmm. um, out, of, out of plants. Yep. And I think of salmon, I think of the pink, you know, the people, they, they chop it off, they cut it. So what is the, um, you know, what is the discovery or innovation that you've made that has enabled you to create something that tastes and bakes like salmon? Yeah, a, a few things. When we, when we got started as a company, one of the things that really blew me away when we were looking at how today's plant-based meat alternatives are made is that the majority of companies all use one single processing technology. And for those of you that might know in, in the industry, it's called extrusion. And it's, there's nothing wrong with it. But for different applications, you want different tools, as you would in, in, in any industry. And so our goal was really, how can we create muscle fibers from plants? So how do you create texture and structure? Um, but in a way that actually is going to produce a product that looks the way a whole cut does, which is raw. So whole cuts, when they're sold in the grocery store, they don't look pre-cooked. And the problem with today's technology is that they basically pre-cook the product. So we've come up with this whole cold-based processing technology that allows us to recreate muscle fibers and then to layer them with that connective tissue that you think that you're alluding to with salmon to create a product that ultimately looks the part and then transitions the same way when you cook it. And how did you land on that? We funded a bunch of academic research. So we started by funding research at some of the best food science universities in the world, uh, including some that are based right here in Toronto. Yeah. And we fully expected when we got behind a few of these projects that most of them were going to fail. And we got lucky. We stumbled across something really, really exciting. So how long till we can buy this in the uh, Sobeys and Loblaws and Metro? Uh, I mean, the plan is to sell it next year. So yeah. We, yeah. we recently raised yeah. a seed round in order to build out our own pilot facility here in, in downtown Toronto, which yeah. sounds crazy, um, with the goal of bringing our product to market next year. And so in downtown Toronto, you could be making this stuff, bringing it to market. That's where we're making it, yeah. and we're it, planning to launch it in the U.S. through restaurants. Yeah, neat. So, Kim, uh, uh, mushrooms have been around for a while. You know, we've, portobello burgers have been a sort of a plant, plant uh, alternative for normal burgers for a while. You're taking it to a whole different level. And I'm just wondering, where did your curiosity, or how did you happen to sort of land on fungi as is a, is a, is a, is a, is a potentially significant solution for this? 
So similar to what you're saying, where you know extrusion and textured vegetable proteins are really processed plant proteins and been the default for many many years. And um, I come from the food industry. My mom and my parents are both um, chefs and restaurateurs. So I really care about how food tastes, as I think everyone does and should. Um, and then I went to UC Berkeley and I studied microbiology. And so I was really fascinated by really things you can't see, and one of those is fungi. Um, and so you can actually replicate the identical microstructure textures of meat with mycelium. Um, it's the same shape, size, diameter, and so you can then build meats um, from that base. And so I was really interested to um, actually think about that problem really theoretically and then take it to market. So we've been at it for six years now. And is, is the ecosystem of sort of fungi innovation, are you guys, uh, do you have other people around the world that are working on this, or are you guys kind of like the, 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 the leading edge? So there is... A very, one of the largest alternative meat companies is a fungi-based company. They're called Corn. They're based in the UK. Yeah. And we have an official partnership with them. So um, it's yeah. a really exciting time because we're both very mission-driven um, organizations really looking to push forwards better for you, better for the planet, and really a new generation of better-tasting alternatives um, that can be done scalably right now. But it's interesting. So you're partnering with one of the bigger companies in the space uh, presumably they're partnering with you because you have something that they don't have. You've innovated something. And so how did you make that innovation that they, they didn't manage to make? So I think both companies come at it from a very different perspective. So we focus yeah. on cold cuts, not, yeah. which is part of, kind yeah. of the whole cut realm. <laughs> um, and, and so we're yeah. really the first um, company that's dedicated to tackling yeah. the deli case. Yeah. Um, and so that's something that's really unique. We're really focused on the U.S., um, and so we bring a, a new perspective um, and a, a new ingredient as well. And so when can we um, hope to be able to buy some of these cold cuts? So we are available in the San Francisco Bay Area in New yeah. York City. Um, we had a tasting earlier today. Yeah. Um, I don't know if there's any sandwiches still floating around, but, oh. um, but yeah, we had our first Canadian tasting of our products today. Okay, awesome. I, I just ate one of the sandwiches backstage and it was great. <laughs> Oh, God, I didn't. I got here late. I missed it. I was hungry. <laughs> Maybe there's some left. Um, okay, so electrifying uh, cows. You know, we hear about electrifying buildings, electrifying cars, electrifying cows. That's, that's part of a new lexicon for me. It sounds quite interesting. Can you just kind of, you know, take us down a couple of details in what you're talking about there? Yeah, I mean, look, you alluded at the beginning that cows are one of, some of the biggest contributors yeah. to climate change, right? There's massive deforestation, methane emissions, like all kinds of challenges. Ultimately, how do we get to net zero emissions, right? We have to electrify everything, and then we can power it all renewably. Um, and uh, essentially, with cultivated meat, we are producing essentially real meat, but the, the prime input becomes electricity, right? And when you look at the kind of life cycle analysis of cultivated meat, it's basically all just energy input in terms of electricity. You get rid of all of the land use emissions, you get rid of all of the methane, or, you know, drastically reduced land use and water use, and it's really just electricity. Uh, and so that's what, what I mean by electrifying the cow, because it means that we can essentially produce as much beef as we want, and we just got to power it all renewably, and there's net zero greenhouse gas emissions. So like a, like a plug-in barbecue, and then you don't even have to go to the store to buy it. Yeah, really, really expensive and complicated plug-in barbecue. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know it's, I mean, it's a bit of details, but I'm kind of curious. So, still, can you give us a little bit more detail, though? So it's, you know, it's, you're, you're using electricity to, to create meat. Uh, yeah, so in cultivated meat, we're growing, we're growing real meat from, from actual animal cells. Yeah. Right? We're growing those cells uh, essentially in a, 
in, in a bioreactor, which is a big steel tank. Now, there's a lot of work to, to take a, a, an animal cell that's used to growing in a cow and optimize that cell to grow in a big steel tank, right? So that, yeah. that's multiple years of development, and we're running large-scale like, engineering cycles, or we're using tools like CRISPR to shift the behavior of the cells to optimize them for those conditions. That's a lot of the kind of core R&D, but the end state is the ability to then produce essentially infinite amounts of meat from those cells, um, mainly just like feeding them sugar and amino acids and powering the bioreactors with electricity. Neat. And where are you right now in terms of the, the, the timing and where you get the breakthrough where you, know, you can produce this at? Yeah, so we've been, um, we've been going about three and a half, four years as a company. Yeah. Most of that work has been building the, the platform for, for synthetic biology and developing the first beef cells that can actually grow in bioreactors. Yeah. To our knowledge, uh, we're the only company in the world who has developed beef cells, cultivated beef cells that can grow in, in bioreactors and big steel tanks without the use of microcarriers or any other expensive components. Um, and we're now building our first also pilot production facility uh, in the Bay Area. So you know, great cheap um, construction costs. Uh, and uh, working on going through FDA and USDA uh, approval. So the goal is, is actually to be able to start selling our first ground beef products and and sci-fi burgers at the end of next year, which we're super excited about. Wow. Have you eaten uh, any sci-fi burgers yet? I eat it like every week. Yeah, we've done more than 100 tastings in our lab, so <laughs> it's fun. Um, okay, so in this time next year, we could maybe be eating food in Canada from all of you guys. Yeah, hopefully. I don't know about the Canadian regulators. We have to have a word, but, um, but for sure, <laughs> hopefully in a year. And is, is the regulation a challenge in terms of getting this stuff through? Because I remember the, the meat industry, when the plant burgers were taking off, they got organized and they came together and were like, okay, how do we slow this down? How do we put some sticks in the spokes? You know, don't, don't let them call it a burger. You know, don't let them call it a dog, a hot dog, that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, there's, there's a couple of parts on regulation. The meat lobby certainly have been fighting hard against meat alternatives, primarily uh, when it comes to labeling. Yeah. Right? So there's a lot of states where they've tried to pass laws that say, well, you can't call it a burger or you can't call it... You know, salmon or whatever it is. Mostly, actually, those are being thrown out on like free speech uh, grounds. Yeah. Um, but you do have to have clear labeling. Uh, but the bigger thing for cultivated meat is just getting approval. Yeah. Uh, the US is actually really forward uh, looking when it comes to this. Yeah. Um, and actually, this has been a big month for cultivated meat because the first two uh, cultivated meat products that are cultivated chicken just received full approval. So they got both FDA and now USDA approval. So they're actually, they've got all the regulatory approval they need to actually start selling, which is super exciting. So I think we're actually going to see the first cultivated chicken products on market you know, any day now, uh, which is really, really exciting. Our goal is to be the first to bring cultivated beef to market. It's interesting because I mean, we think about the existential challenges facing us. Um, you know, there's the killer robots, yeah. AI, <laughs> um, climate change. Uh, but one that doesn't get talked about that probably is a more real threat to, to our civilization is, is a superbug. Yeah. Um, and the superbug is something that we're uh, kind of encouraging with all the uh, excessive use of antibiotics that is required when you have these massive factory farms with chickens and cows and pigs. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering if, if that kind of could be a bit of a tailwind um, for you guys too, this, this, because it seems like this type of work that you guys are doing is less uh, susceptible to you know, requiring excessive use of antibiotics and creating these kind of superbugs. Yeah, I mean, I think that's true for every, everything that we're doing, right? None of our products require giving huge amounts of antibiotics to live animals in a farm. And so we basically completely removed that, that risk. Okay, so you guys are all um, 
several years in, sometimes seven, three, four years, and, um, and you've done a lot of work and you know this stuff and you have really cool innovations and products that are, that are real that people are, gonna, are eating and are going to be eating, eating commercially or will be soon be eating commercially. What does it take, you know, when we think, um, you know, who, maybe if you could describe to us what would be your, like, awesome goal in big, hairy, audacious goal to achieve in the next three or four years and what would that compare to? Like, is it, do you become the next Beyond Meat or Impossible or what, what does it kind of look like um, and uh, what's the key thing to get there that you need to do? Yeah, I mean, for, for us, um, you know, the big, hairy, audacious goal in the next yeah. three, four years would be to get a full-scale commercial plant online that could produce, you know, enough, enough cells for, like, 100 million burgers a year. But, you know, uh, that would obviously be pretty game-changing um, and allow, allow us to start having a really big impact. Um, you know, that is a lot of capex to get to that kind of scale. So one of the exciting things in the U.S. is that we are starting to see government support for that kind of infrastructure. Um, you know, the White House actually recently did a, an executive order about biomanufacturing where they called out cultivated meat. Uh, and in the Inflation Reduction Act, they put $350 billion into the loan program office that uh, does government-backed loans for companies in the U.S., building manufacturing in the U.S. that can have a climate impact. Uh, and they specifically said that alt protein is kind of in their wheelhouse. So we're pretty excited by the potential for government support to help fund some of that capex and infrastructure that's going to be needed for us to start having a big dent in, in meat consumption. Yeah, it's exciting that the Americans are really turbocharging things with the yeah. Inflation Reduction Act. Have uh, we seen similar, similar frameworks in Canada yet or, or still waiting? Canadian friends? What's the <laughs> I'm not the right person to ask. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not I'm sure. a Canadian, but I don't know. Either. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's not a good sign. Probably that means it's not there yet. Um, usually, we, pay, we play catch up. It's sort of like you know, we don't really think anything's legit until the Americans do it. Like even Celine Dion had to go there before she became famous here, really famous, <laughs> or Justin Timberlake, or you know, whoever the. You know, um, uh, so okay, so what about you? Big hairy audacious goal, uh, three or four years. What does it look like? How do you get there? So for us, it's not so much a technological challenge anymore, or even a scaling challenge, because we've really unlocked those codes already. For us, our big, hairy goal is to be in every deli counter, um, in every sandwich shop in the US and Canada within the next few years. So that's going to take a lot of making friends with meet people, which we do actively. And we're a team of about 35, and we don't have any vegans on the team. so. Um, when we walk in, people are actually very receptive because they're like, oh, you're not vegan, and um, these products look like meat, and wow, they taste like meat. And so the world is changing, and we're in New York City and just like local bodegas and delis, and um, that's you know, how we're going to do it, one door at a time. That's neat. I remember a few years ago, I sat down with Michael McCain, who's the CEO of the uh, Maple Leaf Foods, with our editor, to eat his new veggie burgers. We had lunch, he had his chef prepare them and stuff. And he was sort of defensive the whole time about, you know, it's, I still like my real burgers and stuff, but this is a good alternative. And um, it's interesting how you've been able to use sort of non-vegans so you don't put people on the back foot. Because it's not, it's not about sort of judging people. That's not going to get us anywhere. It's just about having a cool solution that tastes better and is healthier with less, less risk. Exactly. We don't yeah. think too much about putting oat milk or soy milk in our coffee every day anymore. And so... Yeah. Um, the world is changing. I think, you know, dairy is like about 15 to 20% um, penetration of alt dairies and dairy in yeah. the U.S. So yeah. that's a long way from where it was even a few years ago. 15 to 20, yeah. It was, it was in sing low single digits four or five years ago. So exactly. Yeah. 
So we still have a long way to go in meat. It's very low single digits for meat. Yeah. And so I think it's going to take a lot of innovation and new categories because there's just been a lot of burgers and a lot of nuggets for a very long time. Um, and so we're forging new territory in the deli, which hasn't really been done. And if I can just jump in on that, because I think that there is this really important point that some of the challenges that I think plant-based meat has been having in the last few years has been kind of a branding issue, right? Where it's kind of become part of the culture wars where, you know, Midwest, especially in, in America in the Midwest, they kind of like don't want to be told not to eat meat by like vegans in California, basically, right? And I think there was, some, there was a lot of like anti-meat rhetoric that kind yeah. of came along with a lot of plant-based meat in the kind of first few years that has ended up kind of backfiring. And I think for the kind of next generation of meat alternatives, we kind of have to talk differently about what we're yeah. doing. Um, and I think that's going to be really, really important to persuade the kind of next, yeah, next generation of, of, of customers. Yeah. yeah, and like using technology to actually make products that meet the consumers where they are is so critical. And I, I think that, you know, we're all, all of us on stage are really trying to push that barrier right now. Yeah, so you're not, you're not trying to take away people's hamburgers, just trying to give them something better. Yeah. I think. Yeah. So um, we're talking a lot about um, he, delis. Um, when, you, when most people think about Beyond Meat Impossible, it's, it's more expensive. You know, you look at it in the store, it's more expensive than normal meat. Is that going to be, um, electric cars are more expensive initially. Now you can buy a lot of models under $40,000. Um, there's some being made for five or $10,000 in India. Are we going to see that happen in this all meat kind of space uh, where it becomes, uh, you know, when you, th when you think about it from a, a, a physics perspective on first principles, could we be making this stuff significantly cheaper than what we pay for um, factory farm meat? Absolutely. So um, I talked about this earlier in my talk. It takes about 40 calories of feed to feed a cow just to get one calorie of beef. And so that's 39 calories that you, know, you can make more efficient, which means yeah. you can drive down the cost. So for us, we're already priced at meat prices, and over time we'll be able to actually undercut meat. Undercut. And that's, it's very un unfair because meat is subsidized in the U.S. like quite significantly. Um, so the price you pay is actually is not the true price um, that obviously the environment pays, but it's not the true cost of meat. So, you, so you'll have better cuts on quality but undercutting on price. Yeah, I mean, ultimately for us, right, we are going to start more expensive. But, you know, I, I also like to think of what we're doing as kind of putting meat onto the technology cycle. Right, well, we have the ability every year to start increasing the efficiency of production and decreasing costs, whereas c cows are actually just only getting more expensive. Right? Climate change especially is really starting to, to decrease arable land. You know, in the Midwest, there's been like a drought for the last five years that's now like decreasing herd prices. And so even with all the government subsidies, still the cost of beef keeps increasing. And you know, it's going to keep going up. And I think governments uh, are going to start having to kind of rethink some of those subsidies and pricing um, you know, in the face of climate change, right? Okay, so I want to get Chris's big, hairy, audacious goal, um, but I also just want to, if, if you guys could also think about, I have uh, just two quick questions, and we have three minutes, so we'll go for your big, hairy, audacious goal, and then I'm, I'm curious about your international expansion, places like China, India, where it's really going to matter. So our big, big goal ultimately comes down to impact, so, you know, four years out, we'd love to be globally distributed, but I think that's, that's an outcome of, of a more important goal, which is creating products that are enthusiastic, enthusiastically excuse me, adopted by non-vegans. And I think that ultimately comes down to building great products and focusing. And today, if you look, I'm glad you brought up dairy because if you contrast alt-meat with alt-dairy, 
you have very different behavior in terms of adoption. Like all dairy for people who consume it is part of the weekly shop. Plant-based meat is not usually. So people are sort of buying it every now and then. And then the question is like, why is that not happening? Is it because we're off on taste? Is it because we're off on price? It's not price necessarily if someone buys it once, right? Yeah. So I think we have to dig deeper into the reasons for which people are not adopting it. Fundamentally, what we're trying to create is behavior change. And that's really hard. I mean, if we create products that are inferior to meat, you know, um, people aren't going to adopt it. You're creating reasons for them to not adopt it. Like if, if, uh, if a downgrade was acceptable, the Chevy EV1 would have been successful yeah. 20 years ago. But it takes yeah. a Tesla. And so we have yeah. to create products that, as you put it, yeah. are better in every single way. Not just the taste, not just the price, but the texture, how they cook, everything. everything. Neat. Okay, so before we get to the last question, how do we um, get this to uh, the, 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 this burger to China? Yeah, no, it's a big question. You know, for us, we are... Um, you know, it would be a lot of effort for one company to build out biomanufacturing facilities in every country in the world, right? So while we're, we are really focused on that in North America, um, we are actively speaking with potential partners in Asia about could we, could we license our IP and license our cell lines to partners over there? Because uh, I think that's probably the fastest way to reach scale and have a big impact. Okay, so, so there we've heard uh, 100 million burgers, yeah. cuts in every deli, and uh, globally distributed. Big Harry. Okay, so last question, serious question. What's the best plant burger in Toronto? In Toronto? <laughs> I haven't tried one yet. You, if you don't know Toronto, you can pick somewhere else. I mean, I think the best, the best plant-based burger still on the market is the Impossible. I haven't okay. tried the new Indulgent Burger, but I'm pretty excited to do that. Okay. I'm Team Impossible. Yeah. 100% Impossible. I would say impossible, but the beyond that A&W, I find it gives me psychedelic dreams. So, <laughs> um, like okay, well, I really appreciate uh, all, all you guys are doing, the wisdom, and, and, um, and looking forward to um, chowing down on, uh, on, your good, on your good eats. And uh, if everyone could join me, please, in a round of applause. Thank you. Thank you.